and uh, I'm giving you a definition, an explanation of Christian faith, which is faith in God through Jesus Christ, his son, by... Oh, there we go. Thank you. (laughs) Faith in God through Jesus, his son, by the Holy Spirit, according to truth. So it's faith in the Trinity and the way that they work, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, towards us in saving grace. And it's always according to truth because the Holy Spirit who breathes the scriptures, which are truth, always acts in accordance with the truth. And the definition, of course, of the whole Christian life is the just will live by faith. Saved people live by faith. It's not just how you get saved, it's how saved people live by faith. Faith is not a power we operate. Faith is not focused upon an outcome, but is, a, but is focused upon God. Faith is Godward. It looks to him. Jesus said, have faith in God. Now, I believe last week was very encouraging for many of you, but where do we go to today? I have a list of subjects that I've got kind of in my head or written down, actually. Uh, These are including faith in the promises of God, faith and prayer, faith and the fight of faith, faith and the gift of prophecy. How do we handle prophesying? Uh, Faith and the gift of faith, which is different from everyday faith, and faith in the future, faith and finance. But I have to go with the subject that... Uh, each week I, I, I hear and see most about as I read and think and pray and listen as I best I can to the Holy Spirit. So today's subject is faith and obedience. Um, I think if I put that one up during the week and said, that's what we're talking about Sunday, not, maybe not everybody would have come. But faith and obedience. Faith trusts and obeys the Lord. At the very beginning and end of Romans, there is this phrase, the obedience of faith. He says that he'd received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all nations for the name of Jesus. And at the end of the letter, he says again, that God has commanded that the obedience of faith should be preached to all the nations. So to the glory of the only wise God through Jesus Christ. Now, why is that? Well, let's go back to the beginning. In the beginning, in the Garden of Eden, man chose to, defy, to disobey and defy God. And we continue to do so for the same reasons, following the same deceptions. There was a track that was set going in the Garden of Eden by that old serpent, the devil, which continues running to this day. The choice Adam faced is repeated in us. Will we trust God? Will we accept his commandment as good and do what he says? God gave Adam one negative commandment. Gave him some positive ones. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, rule over it. But he gave this one negative, one restricting commandment. Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day you eat of it you shall surely die. Then in Genesis 3, we see how the serpent questions God's character. His goodness, his wisdom and then his greatness and authority. Satan suggested to them that God was limiting their freedom, and that if they did what God had forbidden, they would become more like God. In summary, what he was saying was, God's holding back something from you. So maybe he's not so good after all. Maybe he's not so wise after all. And if that's the case, why bother about what he says? They ate the fruit that God had forbidden. Distrusting his goodness and wisdom, defying his authority, 
And that day, they lost their freedom. They became like the devil rather than like God. And they died inwardly and began to age and head towards death physically. That is how we human beings today are still deceived into unbelief and disobedience towards God. God doesn't intend your best. Yes, he does. That's why he made us and how he made us to be. Do we know better than God what is good for us? I'm free to choose. Yes, indeed you are. You're also free to face the consequences of every choice you make. For every choice has consequences, good or bad. When you choose an action, you choose and accept the outcome. I can please myself. Uh, Yeah, you can. But you are God's creature and you are finally accountable to him. And the long-term consequences for defying his authority and disobeying his commandments are, let's put it this way, dire in the extreme. Unbelief is the root of disobedience. You don't trust God. Therefore, you don't obey, do what he says. Not trusting in his goodness and wisdom leads to rejecting his word and defying his authority. Disobedience against what? Against the revealed will of God. In other words, his commandments. Now, the minute I say the word law or commandment, somebody will be saying somewhere here or on the watching it on video, yeah, but David, we're not under law. I agree with you, we're not under law, but let's look at what the law means. Scripture says we're not under law, but under grace. When when Paul talks about what the law we're not under, he's talking about two kinds. First of all, the law of sin, that you're under the dominion and government of sin, so you can't help what you do, because you're a child of sin, slave of sin. There's a law of sin. Then there's the law of Moses. Thank God we're not under the law of Moses. Men don't have to be circumcised. We can eat pork if we want to. All of that kind of stuff, right? Because we're not under the law of Moses. We're not under the law of sin. We're not under the law of Moses. But we are still accountable to the law of God. God's grace does not lead us to break God's law, but rather it empowers us to keep God's law. So when people say, I'm not under law, it's usually because they want to keep doing something they have a kind of idea is wrong, but never mind, because I'm not condemned. All right? But you do need to mind, because we are still accountable to God's holy law. We are still accountable to God's holy law. That is the commandments God gave, which define our relationship with him, and then with one another. And in fact, that moral law starts way, way back. It starts with Adam and Eve. God's saying things to us which order our ways to please and honor him, and that will also be good for us. His moral law. His principles of law, his moral law, are unchangeable until the world ends and his internal kingdom comes. To claim that we have gone beyond God's moral law, we're no longer accountable to it, is contrary to Scripture, And it's very dangerous and destructive. God's moral law is the core, the heart of all his instructions and directions that he gave to Israel, all that he said through the prophets. It's found, of course, in the Ten Commandments. But the Lord Jesus told us that all of God's moral law is summed up in two commandments. Are you with me on this? Two great commandments. Number one, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is like it said Jesus. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
Jesus said, upon these hang all the law. This is the core. The love God, and therefore honor him, love your neighbor, and do them only good and no harm. God's law, Paul writes in Romans, is good, holy, spiritual. It defines righteousness, right kind of living that honors and pleases God. It condemns, however, those attitudes and actions which are against his good order. What God says about us, about human life and behavior, what he affirms and what he denounces, these things are still true. The New Testament teaches us that we're not under the law, but we keep his commandments. So that seems like a, a paradox, doesn't it? You're not under law, but you keep his commandments. We're not under the law of Moses, the law of Israel. The festivals, sacrifices, food laws, other requirements do not govern us. But God's moral law describes righteousness, what gives glory to him and is good for us. And God's law therefore defines what is right and what is wrong in human behavior and relationships. So let me say here, for the record, what God says in his law is right and good on the issues of gender, sexuality and sexual behavior and social justice. What the Lord says about the oppression of the poor, widows, migrants, minorities, they show us the heart of God, what he values and what he despises. Whatever modern society thinks and says, what God says is true and good and does not change. Jesus did not come to abolish God's moral law. Let me read it to you from Matthew 5. Sorry. Do not think that I came to destroy the law of the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill, to fill up. Assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, not one jot or one tittle, that's like dots and crosses, okay, will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Whoever, therefore, breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men to do so, shall be called least in the kingdom of God. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of God. For I say to you, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll by no means enter the kingdom of God. He then went on to give two examples. One was anger, resentment, murder. That kind of process of I'm angry, I hate this guy, I'd murder him if I could. And then adultery. And Jesus points out that those, you don't just sort of suddenly commit adultery or suddenly commit murder. They're formed in your thoughts and in your emotions first. You do it inwardly before you do it outwardly. Therefore, righteousness, doing the right thing, has to start from the heart. So it's in our core, in the depth of our being, that we need to be changed. But that is the promise of the gospel. The new covenant promise of God, Jeremiah and Ezekiel, is this. God will write his law in our minds and in our hearts. They're no longer somewhere out there on a manuscript or a stone tablet. They're written in the very core of your being. You're motivated from inside to follow God's commands. God's moral law is not abolished for us. It's being fulfilled in us as we live and walk according, not according to human nature, but according to the Holy Spirit. Romans 8 verse 1 says, The righteous requirement of the law is fulfilled in those, us, who do not walk according to fallen human nature, flesh, but according to the Spirit. 
We find ourselves doing what pleases God. We looked at the end of Romans 8 last week. God working all things together for the good of those who love him. Well, this is one of the ways he orders our good. By giving us his good commandments and then empowering us to do them. That's what grace does. Obeying the Lord, keeping his commandments is good to God. It's pleasing to him. It's good for me because God knows my greatest good. And it's good for us. There's an expression that has gone missing from our society very much nowadays. It's called the common good. Remember the two greatest commandments? Love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. Number two, love your neighbor as yourself. You are not here to do, to please yourself and do everything that suits you, but to pursue also the interests of others. There's a personal interest and a common good interest, and we need to have them both at the same time. Love your neighbor as yourself. God's moral law orders the way of life that is good to him, good for me as an individual, and good for us together. And and if it's really good, it will be good to all three. Good to God, good for me, good for us. We live in an immensely self-centered society. It's called narcissism. It rules. It's grown and grown and grown over many decades. God's word, you know, isn't spoken by the Holy Spirit just to me as an individual. It was written and directed to us as a community, to God's people, all of God's children. Therefore, what is good, upright, and righteous is not merely a personal issue and a personal choice. It must be considered as being good for the whole community, the whole body. I'm talking about the Christian fellowship, not the whole world now. People think they can make choices only for themselves. No, your choices and actions are accountable to God and affect others. Let me take an example, a rather uh, rough example. Let's suppose a man takes off with a work colleague and deserts his wife and his family. Now, we might disapprove of that. Uh, perhaps some of us would. Actually, our society, modern society, is kind of ambivalent about that. Because if he says to them... Uh, Yeah, but this is good for me. What I had wasn't working. This is better for me. Some people will actually accept that as a valid argument. They manage, to some extent, vindicated because he's just getting out of something that wasn't good for him. The consequence for others of one's personal decisions are, unless they're against our criminal code, increasingly dismissed, dismissed, overlooked. But that man's decision is morally wrong before God, for himself, and for those around him. It's even wrong for his new partner. Obeying the Lord, keeping his commandments is good to God, good for me, and good for us. John speaks very positively about keeping Jesus' and God's commandments. He's rooting it in this statement, which is repeated by Jesus. If you love me, keep my commandments. Or some scripture says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Because it's evidence you love him, and it shows that there's there's something working in you more than mere humanity. God is at work in you by the Spirit, so you're loving him and keeping his commandments. Here are some excerpts from John's first letter. 1 John. I'm going to read them to you. I'm not going to give you all the references. You can chase me up for them if you want. By this we know we know him, if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him, 
but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. Further down, whatever we ask from, we receive from him. What we ask in prayer, believing. If we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments. So obedience is connected to answer prayer there. And do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. You see how all the moral law gets wrapped back into, and love one another, as he gave us commandment. Now, he who keeps his commandments lives, remains in him, and he in him. And by this we know that he lives and remains in us because of the Spirit whom he has given us. And lastly, John 5, 1 John 5. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. You remember Jesus said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Our way of life as Christians, this way of faith is to understand what pleases the Lord according to truth, his revealed will according to scripture, and do it from the heart. And that is not burdensome. It's not a a heavy addition to the life we live. It is the life we live by grace through faith. Faith trusts and obeys law. We're called to the obedience of faith. It's why Jesus came. It's why the gospel goes around the world today to call us in so we trust a loving Heavenly Father and obey Him in all that He says to us because it is good. It's good for, to Him. It's good for me. It's good for all the church, all the church children of God. He will give you grace to keep his word. You've only got a call for grace and grace is available. The Holy Spirit will lead you and empower you, make you alive to what needs to be done and give you grace to do it. Please do not allow the devil's deceptions which started way back then and still run around the world to this day to keep you from the grace of God. Do not doubt God's goodness, his wisdom, his authority. He does believe me. Believe his word, not me, sorry. He does intend your greatest good. One limiting factor, and Adam and Eve could not wear it. But if God puts any limiting factor upon what other people might tell you is your freedom, you say, actually, that limiting factor is for my good. My Father wills my best through Jesus. Don't don't allow deception to keep you from the grace of God as you live by faith, loving God and keeping his commandments. We're going to break bread together. And uh, I'll pray before we do, but have you got your little pot?